Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. have second down 13 on the Notre Dame 40-yard line. Notre Dame four down linemen, two backers, five DBs. Williams stands in the pocket, now backs up to the 50, still holding the ball, still looking, spins out of trouble to the 45, right side 50, steps up to run 40, 35, middle of the field 30, oh my goodness, 25, 20, still going, and down at the 20-yard line. Wow. Oh my goodness. Escape pressure by backing up, running to the right sideline, then reverse direction, eventually ran out to the left numbers, tackled at the 20-yard line after a gain of 19. A lot of running for 19 yards, but also on display, the playmaking ability of USC quarterback Caleb Williams. That's from the Notre Dame Radio Network. Paul Burmeister and Ryan Harris on the call here on WSBT Radio. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, 532 here in South Bend. Darren Pritchett with you, joined by my Game Day Sports Beat co-host and the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Tyler Horka. Great to have him with me on this Monday following the Notre Dame 38-27 loss to the University of Southern California. Well, Tyler... We talk all the time about how difference-making quarterbacks can make up for weaknesses elsewhere on the football team, and we witnessed that here in South Bend for a couple of years with Brady Quinn 15, 16 years ago. Now, Caleb Williams is a different type of player than Brady Quinn, but they've got a pretty good football team. But, Tyler, how much better does that guy make that USC football team? Man, that was fun to watch him from that press box. I'll say that much. And it was an open-air press box. So you get all of the emotions of what those USC fans were witnessing. And, I mean, they understand how good he makes this football team, too, because all of the Heisman Trophy propaganda that they were putting on the screen at the L.A. Coliseum, the fans were chanting Heisman, Heisman. And it's all appropriate because he was making those types of plays that – uh, only the best player in college football make. I mean, it was Johnny Manziel-like, and that's coming from a Texas grad. I'm able to, you know, compartmentalize how good hmm. Johnny Manziel was for Texas A&M. It, it was on that sort of uh, playing field because, I mean, you look at it, Drew Pine actually has more total yards than Caleb Williams in that game. But when you watch the plays that Caleb Williams made, you, you were sitting there in that press box and you're saying, yeah, USC is going to win by multiple scores because of that guy. Notre Dame cannot get that guy down, and, and he was scrambling for his life. And I, I think that is what makes a really good quarterback in this era. It's not like Caleb Williams was trying to run for 100 yards and a couple touchdowns. He didn't run for 100 yards, but, I mean, sometimes he ran close to 100 yards just to gain 5, 10, 15 yards and move the chains. And, I mean, it was so impressive. And, and then – we haven't even really talked about his arm. He can make all the oh, throws, too. Yeah. He only had four incomplete passes. You see some of these darts. and I mean, and after some of those scrambles, he's able to make those throws on the sideline, kind of like C.J. Stroud did against Notre Dame in the season opener. So, I mean, to answer your question, he makes that football team really, really good. And 
I know they had a lot of transfers come in and he was one of them, but he's absolutely him in addition to Lincoln Riley being the head coach of that team. Now, the reason that this is an 11 and one football team on the cusp of a college football playoff berth when last year it was four and eight and one of the worst teams in power five football. Tyler, I know those type of players, there are not many of them in each recruiting cycle. Only a couple of schools, you know, get those dynamic players. You know, Bryce Young at Alabama, C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, and Caleb Williams at USC are three examples. But this, to me, comes back to Notre Dame being a team that's been to the playoff twice recently. They are a program that is pretty much consistently now a top 10 football program, top 15, top 20 at the worst. And that's just been a missing piece for a long time. They've had good quarterbacks, but to me, the next step for this program is finding and developing this difference-making quarterback. Now, maybe one of the next two they just got in these two recruiting cycles could fall into that. Let's hope so. But they've improved running back recruiting. They've improved wide receiver recruiting in this upcoming class. Isn't the next step finding and then developing that type of player that can win a game when maybe another part of your football team is struggling? I think you hit the nail on the head when you said developing because what is the conversation with Notre Dame right now given what we saw with Drew Pine and some of his inabilities to to be one of those elite guys at the quarterback position? The conversation is, okay, yeah, sure, it looks like we're going to sign Kenny Minchie in a couple weeks, but you're not really going to start him Mm -hmm. as a true freshman, right? And then that goes back to the conversation of there are only so many true freshmen who are surefire starters right out of the gate. Caleb Williams was not even one of those at Oklahoma. You have to remember that he was sitting behind yeah. Spencer Rattler. Now, in, hind- in hindsight, I think Lincoln Riley probably would have said, man, we should have given the keys to this guy that season from the very start. But again, that's, that's hindsight. The point is, the, the conversation with Notre Dame right now is, okay, who can we nab out of the transfer portal? It's transfer portal season. You're starting to see a lot of names go in, and all these Notre Dame fans are saying, all right, what guy? Who's the one that can we get? Who can start for this team in 2023 and, and kind of up the level of, you know, the floor for this team. Because there was an offensive floor with Drew Pine. Who can come in and, and raise that a little bit? Kind of like Jack Cohn did mm-hmm. when you were sitting there last year saying, all right, is it going to be Tyler Buckner? Or is it going to be Drew Pine? Oh, wait, let's go get this guy from Wisconsin for one year. But that all goes back to the word that you said with developing. You don't develop a grad transfer who's only going to be with your program for one year yeah. as a bridge guy. You have got to develop one of these guys that Tommy Reese – goes on the road and recruits and spends time developing a relationship with his family, with him, saying, hey, this is what I've seen you do on a high school football field. This is what I think you can do for Notre Dame at the college level. And then let that guy go for three, four, maybe even five years if he doesn't start right away. That's the development aspect. And, and that's what Lincoln Riley has done in a short amount of time with Caleb Williams. Part of that development was sitting behind Spencer Rattler last season and when things started going awry with Rattler, he said, all right, we're going to put this guy in. But he had those couple of weeks to kind of watch it from the sideline and learn. And maybe Notre Dame is doing that with a guy like Steve Angeli right now. You never know. Like, like I said, at the beginning of last season, nobody knew Caleb Williams. Yeah, he was a big-time recruit from a highly recruited area, but nobody knew that he would be this. Maybe nobody knows that Steve Angeli is going to be very good, but these are things that Notre Dame cannot leave up to what if and chance and all these things. Lincoln Riley is doing it with a guy like Caleb Williams at, 
Alabama, they, they're doing it with a guy like Bryce Young. And look at all the guys that came before him. They did it with Mac Jones. They did it with Tua Tagovailoa. So at Notre Dame, absolutely, I 100% agree with you. They have to get to a point where they actually do it with these quarterbacks. They have to recruit a guy, bring him in, and watch him blossom and become one of the better quarterbacks in college football because until they do, they're not only going to miss out on the college football play. If they, if they get there, they're not going to win college football games college football playoff games because yeah. we've seen that. We've seen them lose to the better quarterbacks. Tyler Horka, Blue and Gold Illustrated, my guest on WSBT Radio, was the biggest surprise in Saturday night's game, the inability of Notre Dame to win the line of scrimmage battles. Absolutely, and that goes both sides of the ball. Like you said, battles, plural. Notre Dame couldn't run. Notre Dame could not stop the run. And after the game, that's what I wrote about for Blue and Gold Illustrated and blueandgold.com was it was completely surprising to me to see Notre Dame only rack up 90 yards, 90 rushing yards with the sacks included. And then USC to rack up, uh, what, I think it was 204 yards mm-hmm. with the sacks included, sacks of Caleb Williams included. So, I mean, how many Notre Dame fans spent so much time saying, oh, Travis Dye is injured. You know, you hate it for the kid, but that guy has been dynamite all year, and maybe Notre Dame has stands a really good chance of making USC one-dimensional and, and maybe winning the ball game because of that. That didn't happen. You, yeah. you had a, a senior in Austin Jones who I know Lincoln Riley after the game said he was 1B to Travis Dye's 1A. That wasn't the case. If you go back and look at the numbers, he was a clear number two, and he was a pretty good one, averaging five or six yards per carry, but he had half as many carries as Travis Dye. You give him 25 carries against Notre Dame, and he goes for 154 yards. That was a huge aspect in that ball game because it didn't, as good as Caleb Williams was, it didn't have to be all Williams. He had that help on the ground, and Jones was gashing Notre Dame for 5, 10, sometimes even 15 yards consistently. I think he had 10 rushes that went for double-digit yards, somewhere around there. So that's almost half the time that he's getting the ball. He's taking it for first down yardage, and you can't have that if you're Notre Dame. And then obviously – Notre Dame goes as its ground game goes offensively, and it was not going. Logan Diggs had another one of those games where he only averages 2.8 yards per carry. Audrey Estime only ran the ball six times. It just got to a point where they got down early, and I think that was huge. When they ran the ball, it wasn't the same feeling as, oh, we're running away from this opponent. They were running just to try to spell Drew Pine a little bit, and that is not – a case, a recipe for Notre Dame to win. We've seen the team play from ahead many times, and they look good doing it because at that point they can commit to the run. They couldn't commit to the run in the same way that they had in the five-game winning streak prior. And I think USC kind of felt that. They sensed that. They said, hey, we have these guys where they want them. We have these guys in a spot that Notre Dame had not been in since Stanford on October 15th. They had not trailed in a game since then. So they got them down early. It was 10-0. to at that point, USC kind of gained confidence and, like you said, controlled the lines of scrimmage. You know, at the end of the day, Tyler, Drew Pine's numbers look really good in this football game. But one thing he's avoided in some of these big wins was turning the football over. But in this game, you're down 17-7. The opening drive of the third quarter is going perfectly. You're in scoring position. Maybe you get to within three with a touchdown, but unfortunately it looked like it was going to be an RPO, and Pine lost control of the football. USC recovered, 
Then down in the game, it's probably over at that point, but he forces a throw. You never throw late over the middle. He threw late over the middle, got picked off, and that for sure ended the ball game. So it was one of those nights where Drew had a lot of success throwing the football, and he found Michael Mayer with a bunch of red jerseys around him, and he fitted into some small windows. But those turnovers, especially that fumble, just seemed like that broke the camel's back. Yeah, it was a game where he had to be perfect, and man, he was close. He was about as close as it gets. And uh, what was it, 23 of 26? I mean, 88.5% is the second-best single-game completion percentage for any Notre Dame quarterback in program history. So that's impressive. But I knew at the point of the game at halftime where, where that game was at, 10-point lead for USC, Notre Dame getting the ball back, it, that game was going to come down to that drive and what happened on that drive. And you could say that even before the fumble because, look, like you said, Notre Dame is going down there looking really good. It's looking like a scoring drive. Seven points would be huge. You're right back in the ballgame. At that point, you put the game on the type of trajectory where Notre Dame only needs to come up with one stop. That, that's what you're saying at that point. Get one stop, we're right back in this thing with the chance to take the lead. Instead, Pine puts the ball on the ground. The USC offense goes out. Probably a deflated Notre Dame defense trots back onto the field because you're sitting there saying, oh, man, now we're still down 10 it looked like our offense was going to give us a little bit of a cushion to, to be able to play and say, hey, we only need that one stop. But then USC goes right down the field, scores a touchdown. It's 24-7. to And that's why I was saying even before that drive started that it felt like that was the drive of the game. If Notre Dame was going to score a touchdown there, game on. If Notre Dame comes up empty, well, USC is going to go down and score most likely, make it 24-7. to And that's just an insurmountable lead for Notre Dame to overcome the way this offense is constructed. Like I said earlier, they like to play from ahead, playing from 17 points down on the road against the Heisman Trophy front-running quarterback. Not a formula for success. And in the end, you see an 11-point loss because of that, because Notre Dame just had way too much to overcome. This next thought, some people may say it doesn't matter. Others may say, you know what? I was thinking the same thing. But when ABC said that Notre Dame won the toss and elected to defer, I actually thought for once that was the wrong decision. And from this standpoint, Tyler, you've got a ground game that you're counting on to control this game, shorten the game, kind of put USC on their heels, pound them a little bit. And when you give USC the ball first, it just opened the door for them to get off to a fast start offensively, grab the lead. And now with a team that is so reliant on the running game, you're having to play catch up already in the football game. Did that ever cross your mind when the coin flip happened? Yeah, it absolutely did, and kind of caught me by surprise. One, because Notre Dame actually won a coin toss. I don't know the numbers on this, but it seems like they, they lose every <laughs> single week. But what do teams normally do when they win a toss? Yeah, they defer, and I, and I get that. But from Notre Dame's perspective, if that's what you're used to, if you're used to a team saying, yeah, we'll just defer and, and put these guys on the field first, obviously that's kind of been your M.O., to go out there, run from the start. And I know there have been games where Notre Dame – does not have a good first possession. But against this team, it would have been yeah. huge if they're able to just kind of set the tone for clock management. Because what did I say uh, on our show Saturday, and I wrote about it at blueandgold.com in the Hey Hork article that we discussed, mm-hmm. this game was going to come down to time of possession. I thought if Notre Dame wins time of possession, they've got a chance to spring an upset. If they don't win time of possession, well, that just means the Heisman Trophy frontrunner is on the field more than your own offense, and that is not a very good thing if you're Notre Dame. And what happened in the end, I think it was about 35 minutes to 25 minutes USC's favor time of possession. And that, I mean, 
if you told me before the game that those would be the numbers, I would have said USC by 17, maybe USC by 21. So, I mean, it's to keep it within 11. Of course, Michael Mayer gets the garbage time touchdown there, but that, it would have been a 17-point loss around there if not for that. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Notre Dame probably had a chance to say, hey, let's just take the ball here. Maybe we ground out some clock at the least. At the most, we ground out clock and we go down, score 7 nothing. We have the game in our control. Didn't happen that way. USC's on the field, and, boy, they made that first drive look easy. At that point, I'm, I'm thinking, if this is going to be the case throughout the rest of the night, and it was, it's a long night for Notre Dame, and that's what ended up happening. Tyler, no matter what, it was going to be a tough night for the Irish defense taking on this USC offense. We knew Cam Hart may not play, and that ended up being the case. We mentioned on game day on Saturday, a picture of him on the field with a sling on his right arm. But we did not know about Tariq Bracey not playing in this game, out with a hamstring, arguably, despite all the dramatics from Morrison. Bracey maybe has been your most consistent member of the secondary this year. No heart, no Bracey. That means more Mickey, more Henderson. That means probably a lot more headaches for that fighting Irish defense, and that turned out to be the case. No, there were a lot of headaches. And, I mean, Jaden Mickey, is, he's going through the growing pains. He was going through the growing pains even before this game. And then you throw him on the field as a starter against an offense that throws the ball as well as any in the country. They went at him a little bit. And, you know, he's playing that soft, off-the-ball coverage. You, you see Benjamin Morrison way closer to the line of scrimmage pre-snap. You see Jaden Mickey playing a little bit off because I think that's just where he's at in his development sure. right now. He doesn't have the confidence or the reps to be able to say, hey, I can play press and stay with this guy even if he runs a go. So he was playing off a little bit. There would be some third and medium situations for USC, and they said, hey, just go run a stop route on this guy just past the sticks, and I'll hit you, and we'll move the chains. And that's what happened for, for USC against Notre Dame. And absolutely, I mean, Tariq Bracey has been so good all year. Notre Dame played so much nickel in this game. As I, you know, we said on Sportsbeat on the – on the pregame show, that that would be the case. Notre Dame was going to have a lot of five defensive back looks. All year when that's the case, you usually see Tariq Bracey in the slot. You've even seen him covering out wide. When this was when that was the case versus USC, you don't have that guy. and You don't have, like you said, Cam Hart, your senior cornerback, who's started so many games in the last two seasons, has been a steadying pre- presence and could have done some things in that game that Jaden Mickey just couldn't do. I mean, that, that, that's the definition of being shorthanded against a really good offense. When you're missing two of your best cover guys for, for a game like that, it was not very good news from the start for Notre Dame. So we'll wrap up with this. Are you okay with the possibility of spending a little time maybe in Jacksonville, December 30th, Notre Dame and the Gator Bowl against an SEC team? It seems like that's the direction we're headed. Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked it to have been the Holiday Bowl, but it, it seems like it's the Gator Bowl. Um California, Florida, two really good options, if you ask me. And I think, as my coworker Todd Burlidge said at blueandgold.com today on an article on our website, there's, a, there's some intrigue in Notre Dame going against an SEC opponent. Now, it's not going to be one of the top-tier ones, but, I mean, I, I saw some of the bull projections that my coworker Patrick Engel posted today. And Mississippi State, you get the Mike Leach effect. Hmm. I think I even saw one for Ole Miss. You, there's yeah. been a lot of drama with, with Lane Kiffin lately uh shane beamer south carolina is one i think that 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 might be where it's trending the most maybe mississippi state or south carolina i think they've had a pretty interesting year so 
I think you're going to get a good matchup. I think all of those teams are 8-4. and four. Notre Dame's 8-4. and four. Uh, It'd be a pretty good barometer to see if Notre Dame can go out against a pretty evenly matched team and take care of business. Because I think they have a good chance of beating all of those teams. But, you know, the craziness of bowl season, you just have to actually go out there and do it. So what's on the docket the next couple of days you're writing at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com? Yeah, I'll tease something that I was just actually working on right before you called and we did this segment. Tomorrow is the anniversary of Brian Kelly and oh. all of that stuff that, that went down a year ago to the day last year when it was first reported that he would be leaving Notre Dame after 12 years and going to LSU. I think it shocked a lot of people. I certainly wasn't ready for it, and that's what I'll tease. My article is going to be kind of a column looking back. Where was I during that? How did it all kind of play out? How did we cover it at blueandgold.com? So I know people say they're sick of Brian Kelly, but let's be honest. Anytime you date someone for that long, you always have a little bit of interest. (laughs) What are they they doing now? What do I need to keep my eye on? So it's, it's kind of fun to go back and look, because I think Notre Dame fans like the position they're in now with Marcus Freeman, and they've moved on from Brian Kelly. So at this point, you know, you're at that point in the in the breakup where you can say, yeah, I, I can fathom, I can muster this and, and read this and, and do it without, you know, punching my screen or whatever device you're reading it on. So it's, it should be a pretty good one. I, I, I would like all Notre Dame fans to read it. You know, actually, I think Brian Kelly has a thought on the job you did with this interview tonight. I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. <laughs> I like how you had that one queued up and ready to go. Uh, just It just happens to stay on my screen for some reason. Just a fingertip away. Never can get enough there of it. Go. And as we let me close with this. Because I saw a couple of Cincinnati people saying today that Luke Fickle turned down Notre Dame last year before Freeman got the job. That's absolutely inaccurate. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. We, we did not hear okay. anything of the sort at blueandgold.com. We had some pretty good sources. Yeah. I, we, no one has heard that except maybe people in Cincinnati. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we will wait for the bowl destination, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon here. Always appreciate your time and your analysis, and safe travels back to South Bend. All right. appreciate you, Darren. Thank you. You bet. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Check out the great work that Tyler, Patrick, and Mike do on a daily basis. And the Mike Goolsby Show is a very popular recap video live presentation that they put on after each game, Mike Singer and Mike Goolsby. And I understand it was a very spirited conversation in their post-game show after the USC game. I have not heard it yet, but I've heard that Mike got a little fired up about some of the things that are happening with the Irish. He's a former Irish linebacker, and apparently he was he was pretty fired up in the post-game commentary. So I'm going to see if I can check that out during a little vacation time this week. All right, 5.53 is our time. I'm Darren Pritchett. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 